Praise the Lord. Good to have everybody here this morning. And um, praise the Lord. Amen. I got a word for you this morning. I want to get into the word. I got a few things I want to share. And um, praise the Lord. What? Oh, praise him. <laughs> anyway, I want to, um, to share this morning. The title of my message is being, uh, is being Yielded to the Will of God. How many here would love to know what the will of God is for their life? Amen. Amen. How many here would like to have God spell it out for you in the sky before you do anything? Amen. Okay, uh, I got a message for you then. Praise the Lord. Amen. No. Uh, I know that I, I, in God, I've been in prayer this week, and not only that, he's shown me something else. But anyway, how, isn't it good when we just hear the voice of God and we have, we have clarity on where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do? Amen. Uh, a lot of times I hear people say uh, over the years, they've said, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And the thing is, is God won't give you any more revelation until you've completed the last thing that he's told you. Amen. So what we don't like to do a lot of times is go backwards and listen to it, but God is, is, is looking for uh, our obedience first. Why? Because through that, he's bringing us on the growth pattern. In other words, what happens is nothing that God touches ever stays the same. Amen. If you look at all of creation, look at the entire world, everything that's alive grows. If it stops growing, it's no longer alive, but dead. And believe me, when it comes to plants around my yard, I can kill them faster than anybody. <laughs> so I know alive when I see it, and I know dead when I see it. Praise the Lord. I have, uh, in our yard, we have three fig trees, uh, uh, two of which were given to us, another one I went and bought myself. And I've seen those trees, uh, I've planted those trees, and we fertilizer trees, and we, I like figs, so we try to grow figs in our yard. I don't know if you know anything about Key West, but Key West doesn't have topsoil. We live on a rock, amen? That rock is just, it's coral, it's just rock. So anything you want to give that plant, you have to bring it in and, and, uh, and, and supply the plant so it can produce the right fruit. If you don't give it the right stuff, to, to uh, the right fertilizer, right thing, the right nutrition, it won't bear fruit. And I notice this is similar to our, because my, my figs look terrible. It's not a good year. Anyway, praise the Lord. So I, I know dead when I see dead. When dead is, is, just, is not the same as alive. It's different. Uh, it looks different. It feels different. So anyway, anything God touches, we, we claim the Holy Spirit lives within inside of us. Is that true? Then anything God touches us, that touch itself makes us alive. Amen. Everything Jesus touched, if Jesus touched the dead body, it would come back to life. Lung was, the air, the air would, uh, would go into the lungs, the lungs would fill with air, and that body would spring up and become alive. Correct? Yes. Okay, so anything Jesus, so if Jesus has touched you this morning, then whether you feel like it, look like it or not, you've got to believe that you're alive this morning. Amen? Okay, praise the Lord. So when, we're, when I'm speaking this morning, we're not speaking to the dead, we're speaking to the living. If Jesus is, and so if you feel like you're dead, ask Jesus to come into your life right now so he can breathe on you and make you alive. 
All right, praise the Lord. This is good. So far, we're okay? Yes. All right, praise the Lord. Uh, how many know, I heard a, pre- a preacher say this one time. He says, boldness grows in the atmosphere of a clean conscience. Boldness grows in the atmosphere of a clean conscience. Amen. I'll get into some of this this morning. I want to get, I got several scriptures. I've got about three different directions I can go here this morning, so let me th- sort it out. If you open your Bible this morning, let's start with John chapter 14 because Jesus said it. Amen. John chapter 14 and verse 15. And I want to share some things with you. How many know our obedience to the Lord uh, uh, or our yielding to his will uh, isn't dependent upon what he does for us? I know some people do. We, we pray we want God. Well, God does this for me. I'll do this for him. And it's not a bargaining situation. Basically, Jesus paid the price. We believe it or we don't believe it. But it basically boils down to that. Jesus gave himself for us. We either walk in that and believe that or not. But the fact is, is we don't serve God uh, for a reward. We serve God because he's God. Amen? So, in other words, when we approach him, now we are rewarded. We know that. I'm not taking that away at all. But the fact is, is we are, our purpose for serving God is because he is God and he's Lord. Uh, my reason for being in a ministry as many years as I've been in a ministry is because he's called me. He's told me this is what he wants. I live in Key West, not because I like Key West so much. It's grown on me over the years, (laughs) after 33 years of being here. But the fact is, it is because God told me to be here. So in that obedience or that that yielding to his will, I've noticed in my own life that uh, I'm married to the same woman for um, 51 years. I guess we're going on 52 years to be in in May, 52 years to the same woman. Amen? Amen. Her and I never been married to anybody else. So God, I can say God has blessed my marriage because I was willing to serve him and serve his purposes. God has his, the thing people miss a lot of times. Some people say, well, I'll just sit back. I'll just wait for God, and, and, and he'll just, it, you know, whatever God, if it's God's will, it will happen. If it's not God's will, it won't happen. And we, we play this Russian roulette, so to speak, with the will of God when he is very plain on what, he's, what his will is and what it isn't. Amen. What happens is religion, for lack of answers in some of the supernatural things that God put in his word, they kind of skim over it and they come up with a justification for it. But the fact is, the word is the word. It's not going to change. Amen. Amen. This, this Bible, I believe the Bible from the table of contents to the maps. I believe it to be as a word of God, and this is what should be, uh, should be the standard for our life and the standard for how we live. If we, don't, if we have a question about something, we go back and we look at what God has said about that. And this is, this is how the God, Lord speaks to me. I don't know how to, I'll read until he speaks. Amen. I've seen him do that. I'll read scripture and scripture. Happened to me this week. I, was, I had a, 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 a scripture I was going to go to. I had a, well, no, I had a, really a subject matter. And then God threw something in there that, was, that was, seemed totally out of the context in which I was studying. I said, well, Lord, should I just change the message? No, no, he said, this goes in with it. I'll get share that in a minute. But uh, it was interesting how he put it together. Never saw that before. I've been preaching the gospel almost 40 years. And, uh, and all 40 years, I mean, it never fails me. that God will always bring something else in there. So when you get, you get a, boy, this is a great message. But then God will throw something in, mixed, in the mix that he wants to bring out. A lot of times that happens because there's people or an audience listening to that word this morning that needs to hear something special. Uh, that needs to hear something that maybe you weren't thinking about in your study or didn't even know. 
Uh, I'll get up here a lot of times and preach a word. I don't know what people need to hear. All I know is what the Lord is telling me uh, to say. And the people usually take whatever they need to hear. Now we're broadcasting all over, all over the place. I mean, literally all over the world uh, through live stream. So it's, it's really, it's really uh, great. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus makes this, it's a short verse, it's a very short statement, but he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said there's a proof of, of love in keeping my commandments. Now here's a couple of things uh, that we understand. Well, what was he talking about? Commandments, what does that mean? If we love Christ, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, what's the commandments? Is it the 10 commandments that Moses got from the mountain, from them down, uh, and, and uh, threw them down, broke them, had to get the second copy, <laughs> the backup copy. Is that the commandments he's talking about? Not exactly. Not exactly. I'll give it to you in a minute. But the Passion Translation says it this way. Uh, the Passion Translation, so John 14, 15, says this way. It says, Love, loving, me, uh, loving me empowers you to obey my commandments. Now let's go back to the word commandments. What's he talking about? Well, I looked it up. And uh, William uh, Mounts is a, is a, a Greek uh, scholar, ex, you know, expert, and says, and his definition for this word in the Greek, this word commandments, is it's an injunction, a precept, an order, direction, an edict, commission, a charge of matter to proclaim or to receive. In other words, basically, Jesus, remember he said, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. What basically he was saying, he said, you know the things I said for you to do? What do you say for us to do? He said, well, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. That's one of the, that's one of the commandments he says to do. Now, of course, not everybody's called to be a preacher, but we are all, all uh, uh, called by the Lord to carry his word to other people, aren't we? I mean, was it a preaching setting or whatever it is? So that's one of the things. Uh, when, we, when we fall in love with Jesus and we just, and, and basically call it what you want, born again experience, uh, salvation, when that happens to us, something changes on the inside. God can't, you can't come even close to God without something changing in you, period. It's, it's, it's just a matter of fact. It's just, it's just like, that's all there is to it. How many has ever got, when they got born again, wanted somebody else to be born again also? Whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> oh man, you just need to come to church. You just need, and we, we come up with a list of what you need to do. We have a list. A lot of times that list, if you go over your list that you want other people to do, a lot of things are on there that God told you to do. Did you ever notice that? Well, we like to... Be in good company and praise the Lord. I love it when somebody stands up and says, no matter what, I'm going to serve Jesus. Amen. Do you really know what kind of statement you're making? Well, basically, what I made this statement several times in my lifetime. A lot of times you don't. I, said, I remember praying one time. I said, Lord, I said, any place you want me to go, I'll go. I'll drop everything and go on a heartbeat. Um, it wasn't too long after that I found myself in West Africa. <laughs> I should have said, any place but West Africa, Lord. <laughs> now now we, have a, we have a laundry list. My point is we have a laundry list to come up with things that we're willing to do and things that we're not willing to do. It's the things that we're not willing to do off the bat, but do anyway, is where God begins to bring maturity into the picture. Now, we come to the Lord, and we're babes in Christ, if I can use that expression, we become, we're, we're just new in the Lord. Your maturity doesn't happen over years. 
okay, necessarily. Okay, it's not a matter of time. Our maturity uh, comes about as we begin to handle the task before us. God has a, loves to co-labor with his people. In other words, we sit back, religion has taught us to sit back and pray to God and he'll make everything all better. Then if he doesn't make everything all better, we still have the same problem. Then we come up with, with, with arguments and solutions or we'll write another doctrine on why. Well, sometimes God will and sometimes he won't. No, basically God says everything in his word is already settled. Amen? It's, the shortage is never on his end, it's always on our end. But for lack of wanting to admit that, man's pride, uh, we generally uh, make excuses and so on and so forth. No, God says what it does. If my life is going a certain way and I say, well, God, this is, this is gone, and all of a sudden it doesn't happen the way I expect or the way the Bible says it should happen, my first expression is not to blame God, is to go back and see where I missed it. Because in this process, God is bringing maturity. As we bring, give him obedience, he's bringing it into maturity. You've got to understand something. When we are saved, God is not trying to just save you from hell. That would put the devil at an equal. The devil has never been an equal to God. Let's call him what he is. He's a fallen angel. He's not even in the same league as God. So if God is so interested in saving us from the devil, then that means devil is a formidable foe against God. And of course, his evil is a formidable foe against his word, against his miracle, everything else. And he's not. The fact is, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Then he gives us a prayer, what we call a prayer. He was actually giving us an outline. He said, Lord, your will, Father, your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. There now you have the will of God. He's trying to get his will here, and we as his people are carrying out his will that is in heaven here. So God brings us to a place to where we can mature. Out of our obedience, we begin to mature and now he, through that maturing process, now we see more things happening. Amen? You can give your heart to the Lord in it. We want everybody to do that. Of course, that's where it starts is when you, you, you get that born-again experience and it comes upon you. This is where it all starts. But, the, you know, that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. Uh, we baptize people here. I have, a, I have raised up this lid here. I go to baptistry, and we immerse people in water baptistry. Why? Because the word baptismo, it's in the Greek, means to immerse. So we immerse. And I say the same thing. Come up. You're down in the old man. You come up, rise into the newness of life, and the, the new life that God has given you. So from that point there, we come up into a brand new life. From that life there, God is co-laboring with us and bringing us to different, uh, different aspects of our life. Uh, but basically, the whole basic thing is we go back and rely upon him, and he co-labors with us and desires to work through us. I don't know why he does that. I don't even know why he wants to, because one whisper from God, he can wipe everything out and just bring us to heaven. And we can just clean the slate. He has the power to do that. I, like, I always uh, refer back to Psalms 115.3. He is God. He does what he pleases. <laughs> Somehow it pleases our Father to come into a place to, to work with his people. To work with us takes, because he did give us a free will, he didn't take away the free will, you have a freedom to choose, that we also have, the, with the freedom to choose, we also have uh, the place that we need to obey.
or disobey one or the other. Amen? Let me ask you something. How many here have kids and your kids disobey? Anybody here have kids that disobey? Raise your hand if you have kids that disobey. Really? Your kids disobey you? Are honest? Really? And they're still your kids? Are you sure? You didn't give them away or, oh, you disobeyed, so you're somebody else's. Okay, well, you just deserve it. No? How many know when they're little like this and they disobey, we're, we're more patient and we bring them up? As they get older and they turn into teenagers, how many have teenagers, kids that are teenagers, but they don't obey? They're still living under your roof, but they don't obey. What do we do? Throw them out. Yeah. I had teenagers. I raised two, I raised two of them. A boy and a girl. So I can relate. <laughs> Amen. And what happens? No, we raise them. We still become their parents. We're still their, I'm still their father. Regardless, I'll be the father for the rest of their life. And their children, I'll be their grandfather for the rest of their life. It doesn't change. The heavenly father is our heavenly father for the rest of our life. That's not where we run into the problem. They run into the problem with the obedience to the Heavenly Father so we can grow into the fullness and the statue that he directs us to. Amen. Amen. So praise the Lord. So, that's, so God does our work with us. I like this story. The next story I'm going to tell you about is in Daniel. Daniel chapter, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3. I like these guys. There's three guys in Daniel chapter 3 that I want to talk about. You heard them, you've heard them before. It's a, it's a common story. Uh, it's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many know where I'm going with this? And they've got a choice to make. Because basically, with a free will, God will always give you a choice. You have a choice to do whatever you want to do. You had a choice to come here this morning. You had a choice not to come here this morning. It's your choice. You, we are all, uh, we either reap the benefits of our decisions or we reap the not so many benefits of our decisions also but it's our decision, we have a free will King Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a puffed up um, guy uh, and he decided one day I'm going to make a golden image this image itself is is, is comical because the Bible said it's 60 cubits high, that's 90 feet and it's 6 cubits wide, that's 9 feet now I don't know if you can take something that's 90 feet high and only 9 feet wide at the base and have it stand very well. I think they should have just let him go with it. It might have fallen over on its own. But um, I, I studied that out. The scholars believe that that was including the base that it sits on. How many know the Statue of Liberty is so high, but the whole base is an island? But they counted the height, the entire height from the plains. It was a plain of Dura, was, uh, where Dura in, um, in Arabic means um, round. So it's a round, flat plain. Uh, some scholars believe that it was the same place they tried to build the Tower of Babel, where Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue. Why did he set it there, not in the middle of town? Why didn't he put a temple someplace? Because he wanted all the world to see it, not just the ones that visited his temple. So this guy was really into himself. He really thought he was better than God. So what happened is he said, at the sound of the trumpet, sultry, the uh, instruments of the song music, once you hear the music playing, he says, uh, everybody is to bow down and worship this statue of me. In other words, you're essentially, you're worshiping the 90-foot-tall me. Hallelujah. Three guys stand up. Three guys out of the entire nation that weren't afraid stood up and says, not us, we're not doing that. Nebuchadnezzar says, if anybody fails to bow down to this statue, I'll have them burned in the fiery furnace. I will throw them in that furnace, and that's it. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king, and they said, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, but we'll give you an answer anyway. We don't really need to answer you. Uh, it's ridiculous, in other words. It's so absurd, you don't even deserve an answer. This is <laughs> these guys are saying, okay? You don't even deserve it. This is so stupid, I don't even have to answer your question. But here we go, I'm gonna answer it anyway. We'll, go, said, we'll answer you. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if that, what you're saying is true, in other words, he said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty putting your faith right out there. But then they say this, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Verse 18 says, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image you have set up. These are guys with backbone. Because basically they're saying, listen, our God is well able to save us from that stupid furnace that you're, taught, that you're threatening with. But understand this, even if he doesn't save us, we're prepared right now to burn than bow. I'll just put it in my, my terminology. We're, we're not going to, so, so go ahead, do what you need to do, but we're not bowing to your, to, the, okay, wouldn't it, it seems so simple. You just bow and your life is spared. You stand in opposite of the king and your life is done. They'd rather take and have their life be done than to disobey what God has told them to do, not to have any graven image or worship any graven image before them. And they're willing to die upon that word. Now you can see what the, what the underlying thing was. These guys have, these guys have got backbone. He said, no, no, we're not, we're not even careful in this matter. No, we don't even need to answer you. We just stand there, play all the harps and, and, and cymbals you want. We're not bowing. Amen? Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He just, he just, he just on fire with anger, he says, Choke up that furnace seven times hotter. The guys that were grabbing a hold of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they're all bound up, the guys that were throwing them in the furnace were killed because the furnace was so hot. Getting close to it, they, they were singed. They were burned up. And as soon as they threw the three Hebrews into that furnace, Nebuchadnezzar rises up off his throne. And he looks. He says, how many guys did you throw in there? And he said, we do three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I see four, and the fourth one is as the son of God. Now, let me ask you something. How did that evil king know what the son of God looked like? I guess regardless, you're going to know Jesus whether you know him or not. <laughs> you're going you're to see him someday whether you believe him or not. Praise the Lord, but that's about it. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the God sent to this world. Amen. He thought that he was building his statue in the same place as the Tower of Babel. If it was the same place as the Tower of Babel, uh, the Bible doesn't say, uh, it just says the plains of Durham, uh, Dura, and Dura means a circle. So if it, was, if it was the same place, then he's as dumb as they were, because basically it didn't work out for the Tower of Babel either. So we're in the same location, same geographical area. And he says the fourth is at the Son of God. And when they put them, pulled them back out of the furnace, or they walked out, no, he said, come forth. They walked out of the furnace. When they walked out of the furnace on their own, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. But they, it's, they said, our God is able. This is, this is how they approach to it. And I like this approach. He said, our God is able. 
But even if he doesn't, I'm not bound. Our God is able to save us from all the evils of this world. That's not a question. But even if he chooses not to, I'm still not bound to the gods of this world. Um, my God healed. My God is able to heal. But if for some reason I don't get healed for the price that Jesus paid for, I'm still saying he's a healer today. Because I don't have within me, either do you, have the authority or the power to cancel God's assignment, what he started with, number one. And your life or my life doesn't prove or disprove God. God is who he is. We're not here to prove or disprove who he is. We're here to spread the message so somebody else can, can come on in and join in the kingdom of God and become part of the kingdom. There's going to be unbelievers from the time that Jesus comes. The Bible says that. There's going to be people that won't ever uh, believe. Amen? So this is what it's going to be. But their obedience didn't depend on what they felt like. Their obedience didn't depend on God doing something for them. Their obedience depended on them, and their yielding to the Spirit of God, yielding to the truth of God, did not depend on what God was going to do next. He said, because even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. We're here. We're not going to bow. And guess what? God showed up on the scene anyway. And then Nebuchadnezzar, not only did they not get devoured by the furnace, guess what happened next? The entire kingdom was saved and the entire nation was changed as long as Nebuchadnezzar was king. Because Nebuchadnezzar, now he comes face to face with the Son of God, realizing he's fallen short of any kind of God. And now it begins to listen in, in, uh, about the God of Hebrew, and it changed the entire nation. Three men in defiance against an, a nation changed the nation. Amen. In other words, their courage affected somebody else. Let me give you another story where that happened. Praise the Lord. Amen? How many remember? Let's go move up a few, <laughs> a few leagues in history. Let's, let's move up a little bit. to Sam, or Actually, going back before, but going back to Samuel chapter 14, how many remember the, uh, I love this story, you got to leave the background, I don't have time to give you all the background, I'll give you some of it, but uh, Jonathan is armor bearer, do you remember that story? Jonathan is armor bearer, how many know what an armor bearer is? It's like an equipment guy, it takes care of the equipment, in other words, you know, he has a sword and shield and he hands it to the, he's not a warrior, he's, he's an equipment tender, okay? There, Saul is king, newly formed king. Uh, he was made king a couple chapters back. Uh, he was king of Israel. And they're under the uh, um, power of the Philistines. In other words, they're under the authority of the Philistines. The Philistines rule the country. The Philistines, you've got to understand, this is the background of it. The, the Philistines got rid of every blacksmith that was in Israel. They weren't allowed to have blacksmiths. Uh, are you ready for this? Because they were afraid that the Israelites would have the blacksmiths fashion swords out of plows and scrap metal, whatever they get, and rise up against them. So what they did, this is the earliest form of gun control. See, if you want to have your plowshare or your spear sharpened, you had to take it to your enemy, the Philistines. And they controlled on how many things could be sharpened and what could be sharpened. If you had something that was under the band, like a sword, no, no, it was confiscated. This is a true story. I'm making this up. You go back and read it. But it, it, this, this, this is nothing new. Amen? 
Why? Because basically if they took away the rights, to, uh, the, the, the means, the instruments to defend themselves, they would be easier to control. And that's what they were. They were slaves. So there were two swords in the entire nation of Israel. And guess who owned the two swords? One was Saul and the other was Jonathan. Now that's good for Jonathan, but his armor bearer, now I'm going to bring you to the story. His armor bearer didn't have any sword. I don't even know if he had a pocket knife. <laughs> okay, you got the picture? I'll bring you the background because you got to see how absurd this thing is. This has got to be the worst battle plan in the entire Bible. This is the worst approach to any kind of fight or battle that you can imagine. Because what happens is Jonathan and his armor bearer are standing there. And, and, and this is what Jonathan says. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, he says, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. That's the Philistines. He said that we may, that we may be the, uh, that it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing restrains God from saving by many or saving by few. It doesn't matter if we're just few or just, God will save us no matter what. Okay, he says, he says, well, this is how we'll test it. We'll make ourselves known. They're up on a hill. The, the, the garrison is up on a hill. So Jonathan says, we'll expose ourselves. We'll make ourselves and we'll shout up to them. If they say, come up here, then we'll know that the Lord has delivered them into our hands. If they don't say, come up here, we stand our ground. In other words, either way, there's going to be a fight, and either way, they're outnumbered. But here's the worst battle plan in history, because basically, they have to come up there. They have to climb up a rock face. The Bible describes the rock face, but they have to climb up the rock face to get to the garrison. So they're climbing up a hill. I don't know if you have any kind of, of um, uh, circumstances like this in your life where you feel it's all up a hill climb. When you get there, it's, it looks like no, not, not much hope. When you, when you get there, you're in that kind of situation. Listen to Jonathan. He says, he's excited because they said, come on up here to us. We'll show you something. You got to be careful when somebody's not your friend and they want to show you something. <laughs> that never works out good. <laughs> There's nothing good in that thing. Yeah, come here, I want to show you something. Uh-uh, keep it to yourself. <laughs> I don't want to see it. But anyway, so they climb up. And now the armor bearer says, he says to Jonathan, do whatever's on your heart. In other words, I'm behind you. You don't even have a weapon. They got one sword between them. As they get up there, they find out there's 20 in the garrison. So you have a, you have a, a man of 20 men in a half acre space that are waiting for you to get there. They're not being taken by surprise. It wasn't at night. It wasn't a sneak attack. It was, come on up. Yeah, come on up. And they're making their plans. Hey, when they come up, we'll just kick them back over or kill them or whatever do. When they came up, as soon as they climb up to the last rock and they go, come crest the ledge, a guy falls over dead. The armor bearer, guess what? He has a sword now. He grabs a sword from that guy, and he starts killing people. <laughs> when they got done, there was 20 that were laying on the ground of a highly trained Philistine garrison. There was 20 men laid dead. And Jonathan and his armor bearer looked like heroes. Guess what? Now they got 20 swords. Amen? They didn't know that else. 
God supernaturally intervened in their, in their situation. They went back. Now, that's not the part I wanted, to, I wanted to brag on this morning. This is what really I like. You have to go back and read, read a, few, a couple other places um, in chapter 14 where it talks about these Israelites hiding out in caves. It talks about another one that actually they were so afraid that they actually joined the Philistine army. Turned coat and joined the Philistine army. Okay? Uh, they were so distraught, they didn't have confidence in anything that Israel was going to do. Probably lost all total confidence in God, what he could do. And basically, once said, oh, well, just join up with them. It's easier to join than to die. They had the other ones. They weren't going to take anybody's side. They were just so wishy-washy. They just hid out in caves. We'll just hide out in caves until all of this is over with. Until Jonathan and his servant wiped out this garrison. Only 20 men. It's not really that much of a, of, of, of a deal, except there was only two men that did that. So now your ratio is like 10 to 1 as far as if you're doing the calculations as a battle. It was the sound of that. In other words, when, when, when that particular story went about every place around Israel, it's so encouraging. The men came out of caves, and the ones that were joined up with the Philistines dropped their sword, and they, they came and started fighting with the Israel, and they all came together. In other words, the obedience of of Jonathan towards God encouraged the ones that weren't that were in bondage, encouraged the ones that were hiding out, and encouraged those other ones all to get into the fight. It unified the entire nation. That one little bout that didn't mean anything, but wouldn't have mean anything except Jonathan comes out and it was noised abroad. Him and his armor bearer just wiped out a garrison of 20 men. Dead. Wow. God must be for us. And just that idea that Jonathan obeyed the Lord, got this victory over him, now go ahead. Let's, it, it, it assembled even the ones that were hiding out in caves. It encouraged him so much. Man, God can do this. He can fight for Israel. We can get our freedom back. And, it, and they begin to, 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 to gain ground. Amen. They begin to gain ground. So what did God do? He did something supernatural again to save his people that he promised. But it wasn't just that. I'm looking through the, through the scriptures and I'm seeing the obedience of some, or just a few, encouraging the multitude. There's something about this somebody obeying God and, and, and getting a better life, getting the miracle, whatever it is, and it just encourages other people around us. We're seeing this, uh, I guess Rebecca mentioned the harp and bowl meetings that we have Tuesday night and, and, and um, Saturday night. What we do, we, we have, because of our online presence and all this stuff, we get prayer requests from all over, from everywhere. And we take the prayer requests, and of course we pray with them. Uh, our prayer warriors are text. They get their texting and they pray all, just as soon as a prayer request comes, immediately it goes to a prayer warrior, and we begin to pray on that thing. And, and, and then what happens, on our harp and bowl nights, uh, harp and bowl is a terminology that we get from Revelation chapter 5, where the elders brought the prayer in a, bo- in a bowl and w- had also had a harp. They mixed, basically what it is, is just in a simple form, it's mixing praise songs with the prayer that's going on. Something happened this Tuesday. Uh, I listened to the Lord. I listen to the Lord all the time. But we got into the harp and bowl meeting. We had all the prayer needs. And, and Jennifer, my secretary, she takes, types out all the all the things, the crest, and if we get a praise report in, it gets a blue marking, 
and then we, we, we have a sheet for praise reports. This will answered prayer, and we have another sheet for what we, you know, we get this thing organized. I like organization. But anyway, we started doing it. Something happened and, uh, on Tuesday night, and all of a sudden, I'm playing a guitar, so I, I do that so I can flow easily. It's easier than trying to flow with the computerized music and the keyboard and stuff like that. So uh, I'm, 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 flow, I'm playing a guitar, and all of a sudden, I start breaking out in the song of the Spirit. As I do that, God is showing me something. And I said, so I just encourage everybody, just sit there and pray in the spirit, just start, start praying. I said, and I said, the person who is, is praying, pray normally in English or pray in your language. I said, and just pray, pray the prayer needs. As they're praying, all of us start praying in the spirit. And I'm sitting there and asking, God, what is this all about? And he's saying, I'm bringing unity. He said, if you use the prayer language that I have given you, along with the prayer that you know to say, he said, we're, we're in perfect agreement. Amen. Amen? How many of you ever going to a prayer meeting while somebody's praying a long, lengthy prayer and saying this, this, bless us, and you're just kind of dozing off and falling asleep. Uh, but the fact is, is this isn't well, what happens. And it wasn't just a time of praising the Lord, because what I do lots of times is we'll go around in a circle and whoever trying to pray will pray. I'll stop and we'll sing a praise song on the guitar and then we'll go to the next person and so on and so forth. It wasn't that. All of a sudden it went into this spirit, but God was showing us something. And this is something new, but I mean, it was, he was showing us. They were in, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says they are in one place, in one accord. Then the Holy Spirit moved. Amen. One place, one accord, then the Holy Spirit moved. And God said, I'm, I'm, what was happening, he said, I'm taking the prayer languages of all these people here along with the prayer request that's being spoken out, so everybody knows what the prayer request is. He said, I'm bringing a perfect unity in alignment. Because basically when you're speaking your prayer language, it takes your brain out of the factor. <laughs> yeah, brain, yeah, how many know our brain is what trips us up a lot of times? <laughs> Who's ever tripped over their brain? Oh, come on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It, but, but God was, was doing something different. And we saw, and, and of course we got done. I said, well, what everybody think? Wow, man, I, I felt God here. And I felt God doing it. And there was a, wasn't Jennifer, it was an era of excitement. And, and, and so, of course, last night we did the same thing, uh, similar, but uh, again. But God was showing us. He's taken what he's given us 2,000 years ago, and he's using it for today to bring the agreement in. Amen? We're, we're in. Uh, uh, I was given instructions for healing. So to one person in the church, they just lay in. Uh, I says, you know, call. Make the phone call, and that will happen. The world will go forth, and it will change. And things are changing because of this thing, but we're coming in together. But there was a perfect agreement as long as we're coming in. There's still somebody praying. Of course, we still went around the room and prayed all the requests uh, in the known language. We also came in. I, I thought it was cool anyway. It was, really, it was good. But the power of the Holy Spirit just fell. And we just, we just had a blast. Amen? Yeah. It's like, how do you explain Jonathan? Lord, I mean, Jonathan, if this isn't God, you're going to be toast. <clears throat> how do you tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, sure, you think, you're being, you think it's okay. You could die doing this. We don't care if we die doing this. How, how do you deal with that? How do you look at these things and, 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 and say, What's it, what gets into these people all of a sudden? Because this isn't this is an all of a sudden event. Uh, before that, Jonathan was hiding out just like anybody else was, because basically they were being in, in captivity. Remember the story of Gideon. 
Gideon was hiding out in a wine bed trying to, because he was afraid of the enemy. How many situations in the Bible do you see where people are afraid of the enemy? I know churches that won't talk about uh, anything. Well, don't let the devil hear you. I hope he does hear me. Because I serve the one true God. Let him hear me. And let him hear this. In the name of Jesus, move. Let him hear that also. Because this isn't a game. The Bible calls it a warfare. And it's, it's what it is. In a warfare, there are victories. Well, there's casualties too. Only if you miss. Praise the Lord. If you're in a gunfight, you die. You're the guy that missed. <laughs> or hesitated one or the other. I don't know. Praise the Lord. I mean, no. no. I'd rather serve God out of his obedience. I'd rather yield to the presence of God, yield to his plan, no matter how goofy it sounds to my brain. Amen. I'd rather yield to that. Amen. Amen. Well, what if it isn't God? What if it isn't? What better way to go down than the serving, serving the Lord? That's what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego thought. Amen. What better way to die than to say, no, we're standing for the principles of God? Now, nobody's looking to do that. I mean, nobody's looking to die. But the fact is, what if God doesn't do your miracle? Are you still going to serve him? What if he doesn't answer your prayer? Are you still going to serve him? Amen. I am. Amen. He doesn't have to answer anything for me. God doesn't have to bow one knee to me. I have to bow to him. He's the God. I'm just a servant. Amen. Praise the Lord. And as Jesus upgraded that, by the way, he said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. That's a covenant term. Amen. I don't have the time to teach on covenant, but you know what covenant is. Covenant is what we have with God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Can I share something else with you? Amen. All right. I can do this. I can do this. So, this is what the Lord laid on my heart this week. I, I want to share it to you. One of my favorite scriptures, this goes back 30, 33 years ago, 1987, uh, it was May in 1987. Uh, this word, I got this word. Second Peter chapter uh, one, verse three. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I was nervous and scared out of my socks because I had to step out for the first time. Now I served in church and I went to church most of my life, but I had to step out and plant my own church. It was up in Delray Beach, Florida. And I had my family there, and I had to step out for the first time. Now the church was depending on me for the message, me for this, and, that, and it, was, it was frightening. I, I was frightened. And this scripture came to my mind, and he says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, what, what, are we, what is church all about? Church is about uh, dealing with life and death issues, really. It's about dealing with eternity. Amen? Church is referred to in the scriptures as the gateway to heaven. This is, this is where, we, where, where it happens. Praise the Lord. Uh, not in a building, not in a, but in, in coming to Christ. And church, uh, how many know this is just a building? When we come here together with Christ, it becomes a church. Amen. When we leave, it's just a building. <laughs> There's nothing supernatural about this. Trust me, I've, I've rebuilt this whole thing. Nothing supernatural about it. But there is something supernatural when we come together and God begins to pour out His Spirit on people. Yes. There is something supernatural about you 
because God came into your life and he's done something in your life. This, there is something supernatural about it and there's something precious about that. He's given us all things. You read further into the scripture, it says this. He says, he says, through knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God's call is by glory and virtue. Let me I'll clear that up in a minute. Okay, by glory and virtue. But have been given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that through these we become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of this world through lusts. We've escaped the corruption of this world. It's not part of us. Amen? Amen? Then you go down to verse uh, 5. He said, but also, for this very reason, give all diligence. He said, now this is what Peter says. He said this. He makes a strange statement. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your, add to your faith. Wait a minute. Faith comes from God. Without God, we have no faith. So he gives us the faith. He says, yes. God gives us the faith. You add virtue. But he gives us seven, seven things all total of what we're supposed to add. So let me give you the breakdown of that. He said, so here's what we have. Okay, I walk in faith. Bless God, I walk in faith. I, I believe I, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, gonna, I'm born again. I believe in all those things. Okay. Then add virtue to that. He said, well, you got faith? Then add the virtue. The virtue is up to me to add. And what is virtue? Virtue is excellence. In other words, if you are a Christian, you are commanded to be the best Christian you can be by adding virtue to your faith that you claim that you have. Is that right? Uh, okay, praise the Lord. Then he goes on to say, oh, with virtue, also knowledge. With knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. Okay, what's all that mean? Knowledge is enlightenment and understanding. He said, get your faith and get some enlightenment and understanding. He said, how about self-control? That's temperance. You can't slap everybody you feel like slapping. <laughs> I will say, don't be a striker. <laughs> Just because they're stupid. You can't change. You can't fix stupid. You can only muffle it with duct tape. I heard that someplace. I got to get off Facebook. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Perseverance. What is perseverance? It's a patience, a steadfastness, and a waiting. That is an attribute we add to our faith. Hmm. We add it. We, this is our responsibility. I'm not saying God gives us this. I'm saying this is what he's called us to add to us. We've got to do something. Brother's <laughs> doing good till there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Godliness, a reverence and respect. Brotherly kindness, love of the brethren. Oh, oh, you had to say that one, preacher? Ah, oh, man. I don't really like a lot of other people. doesn't matter. You add that to your faith. What happens, your faith is becoming the thing that God can use. Praise the Lord. The brotherly kindness, love for the brethren. And the last thing is his love. Now, love in the Greek is agape. Now, my Greek expert is not here this morning. But uh, the, the word uh, agape uh, in the Greek is a word for love. There's like four different words for, for the word love in the Greek. This one here uh, is agape that he's using. It's affection, it's benevolence, and it's charity. Matter of fact, if you have a King James Bible, not the New King James, but the King James Bible, wherever love is in spelling Greek, it will use, wherever agape, I should say, wherever agape is used, it will use the word charity. It won't say love, it'll say charity. That's what I mean. It's a giving of ourselves. So what's Peter saying in essence? He's saying, he says, this is what we do. He says, we take our faith that God has given us and we add these attributes to us. So this is within our power. God never will ask you to do something that you are unable to do. 
That wouldn't be God. That wouldn't be fair. So the things that he asked us to do, so he said, so Peter said, I'll go say it again. Uh, in verse 5, he says, add to your faith virtue, and add to your virtue knowledge, and add to your knowledge self-control. Are you following this? And so on and so forth down the verse. So you see, obedience has more to do with it just doing something that we heard or think or what, something that we see somebody else do. No, we have faith. You couldn't get saved without faith. You're only saved by your faith. The faith that we have, now we add these other virtues to our faith. So if I'm faith, I'm going to be reverent to the Lord. If I have faith, I'm going to have a virtue. That means there's going to be an excellence about me. I'm just not going to do it just any old way. I don't get up on a Sunday morning and just throw any sermon together. I spend about three or four days putting stuff together and make sure it's what God wants to say and so on and so forth. There's a process in my life to do this. I know people tell me that I only work one day a week. That's the people that don't know me or follow me around. <laughs> but the fact is, so it doesn't matter. The thing is, is this is what we add in the virtues. So besides the obedience that we talked about this morning, which is really yielding to the will of God, Obedience isn't something that, well, if you do, uh, uh, how many know we teach our kids obedience? It was a punishment. It was a reward and punishment system with that. Well, at least when I was growing up, uh, um, that was it. Uh, isn't, this isn't what God is saying. He's saying, I'm looking for the ones that will yield. And for your yielding to me, this is what will happen in your life. He said, this will, will come to pass. Amen. So there's a yielding. I like that word yielding because what happens, it's not by striving. If you're striving to be saved, it's never, it's never a question of determination. Never. I mean, we, we are determined people as far as we're going we're to serve God, but it's not a, it's not a question of determination. It's, it's but yielding to his will. We're not determined to do something. We're yielding to do something. Help me, anybody? We're not saved. I'm going to say this again. We're not saved from something. We're saved unto something. Does that make any sense? In other words, you're not saved from your former life or saved from this or saved from that. Those things go away, yeah. But the fact you're a new creation of November before existed, got it. But what you're saved in, you're saved unto something, unto the goodness of God, unto the kingdom of God, you're saved into his kingdom. Now you become a citizen of another country. Amen. It's called the kingdom of God. Get anything out of the word. I, I'm out of time. I've got to stop. But praise the Lord. Uh, um, I had, like I said, I had about i got some other stuff, but i got to stop. I'm out of time. How many got something out of the Word this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, let's stand to our feet. I'll go ahead and pray. Uh, I, 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 this Second Peter thing has been on my brain all week. Uh, I'm going to pray this morning that because we see it in the Word, uh, you have faith. And there's no doubt. Uh, God has given you faith. Um, what we do with that faith is another question, but we all have, have faith. Can we add the virtue this morning? What if we just add that one thing? Could it be an excellent to our faith? In other words, let's see, if I'm going to believe God, uh, we'll use my faith, I'm going to believe him with everything within me. That's excellence. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to be the best believer you've ever seen. In other words, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to believe God. That's it. What his words said, that's settled. It's settled. I'm believing it. And I'm going to live my life according to that same belief with excellence. That's just in the virtue. And you've got six other ones that go through. But I mean, did it help anybody this morning? Amen. Peter, I think, in his way was showing us what real faith is and what it looks like to work, not what people say it is. 
I, I talk to people all the time. And I'm, my wife and I are avid scuba divers. We dive almost every week when the weather's nice. We love diving. And I know a lot of people in the dive community. I've lived here for 33 years. And, and up and down the Keys, really. I know a lot of people uh, in the diving industry. And I've had people say to me, well, preacher, I believe in Jesus. I said, Good. So does the devil. It's not what you mentally ascend to. It's what you're obedient with. Amen? Now, I've been talking at the beginning of the year on the transformation. I used Paul. It was a transformation process. Transformation process can't happen without obedience. God can't do anything in your life aside from obedience. Because we have to yield. The obedience is yielding to the will of God. When we yield to him, now he can do all things. All things are possible through Christ. I don't care how bad it looks. I'm telling you right now, it's possible. It's more than possible. It's, it's more than probable. It's God's promise if we can stand on it and walk in it. Encourage anybody this morning? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the people. Uh, thank you for this extra time. You give me a little bit at the end here. But I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus for these people. I pray, Lord, apprehensions and different things, different confusions that come in are not from you. But, Lord, we take authority over that spirit of confusion, if there would be that this morning on anybody. And, Lord, let the clarity of your word and the clarity of your purpose shine through. Shine through. For all those this morning who said, well, I, I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do in this particular circumstance. Can I give you a quick note? A lot of times he just wants you to step out. A lot of times. Now, you have to settle this. I, I'm just giving you a, a general-sized statement here. But he'll, he'll guide you as you go. Amen? <laughs> so I got into ministry. <laughs> Gee, I wonder if he wants to preach the gospel to the nations. Oh, let me see. Uh-huh. <laughs> Five continents later. I mean, here we are in Key West and still preaching. But the fact, Amen? So praise the Lord. I hope that helps anybody this morning. But man, if you have a desire to do the will of God, you're already up there. If you have a desire to do the will of God this morning for your life, you are already there. You just don't realize it. But you are there. The next thing you need is the obedience of, of what you believe he's saying. Now, this is church can help you out and counselors can help you out. But the fact is, is, is that you, you, now walk into it knowing with the surety that you are God's will. If you make a mistake, guess what? He is a big enough God to save you and pull you back out of it. Amen. Amen? And even if he doesn't, we're still not bound to the ideas of this world. <laughs> we're still not bound here, stupid idols. <laughs> Father, we thank you for it. in the name of Jesus. Bless every person here in Jesus' name. You came in through the door, you're blessed coming in. And the Deuteronomy 28 says you're blessed going out in the name of Jesus. We give you the praise. Thank you, Lord, for it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. <laughs>